a Believe in Vogue new kids <sighs> on the block. And Rick Astley. Really? Is I, that a bill? I want to go to there. I didn't know that was a thing that was happening. Yeah. That sounds this, like a fun this show. Summer. Yep. Uh, I think the- June. And um, I I was going to buy myself tickets for my birthday because I wanted to get backstage passes, meet and greet passes for oh, Rick Astley. Oh, okay, sure. Truly, I love that man. Yeah. Unironically. There were two things that I, I almost bought the uh, the big autograph packages from the Cast of Back to the Future Comic-Con yes. this year. Uh-huh. That was like $2,300. Yeah. I didn't know they were that much, which is insane. So, yeah. hard pass. <laughs> And then Roger Waters, I was going to get tickets oh. for because he's coming through. But they're like 200 bucks a pop, and I just don't know really I want to do that. Yeah. Plus, I'm already seeing Jack White uh, taking John to see Weird Al for his birthday. <sighs> Every time he comes to town, I am gone somehow. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I remember one year he came and played at the zoo, and I think I had left like the day before or something. Mm-hmm. Like, this is horse shit. Uh-huh. But isn't this tour he's not playing? It's not a full band. It's just all his... Um, well, it's like, like it's, so- it's older songs. Yeah. Well, he did one tour where it was just, it wasn't any of the covers. It was just Weird Al original, which is fine, but... Yeah, it's supposed to be like that. It's basically just acoustic versions of like some of the older hits. Weird Al Unplugged. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's amazing. I love him. And that's the thing. I know John would be very appreciative of that experience, regardless of the scenario. So oh, yeah. I'm just going to do it. Are we recording? Oh, yeah, for a minute. Fuck yeah. Oh, shit. All right, cool. Weird Al <laughs> Unplugged. looking at fucking bikinis. Fuck. You can still look at bikinis. <laughs> like, Z and I, can, you can take my position this time. I'll read your story. You just yeah. pop in when you want. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, y'all. Welcome to Ghost and Hose. Ghosts and Hose. Ghost and Hose. Paranormal podcast. We talk about all things spooky. Yeah. Cryptids. Yeah. Witchcraft. Yeah. Murder most fucking foul. Yeah. Aliens. Oh, yeah. Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Weird yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And? Stuff, things, and sometimes dicks. It's been a minute since Dick. we've talked about dicks. Dick. Dicks. Any any new dick stories over here? I know the answer, but I'm just asking. No. Okay. I know what I got Dicks. Any new dick stories for you? Dicks. Just one. Just one. Just one dick in my life. Mm-hmm. For a few months now, so. Yeah. And that's all you're going to say. That's all I got to yeah, say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Just uh-huh. don't, don't even say anything. Don't bring it up if you're not going to share. He asked. Yeah. Anyway, so hey y'all, hey. So um, I had every intention of bringing the spicy Cheeto Mountain Dew, but it got drunk. Drank. Gross. Spicy Cheeto Mountain Dew. Yep. Did, a... Was I notified of this? You were. I think downstairs. you were downstairs yesterday when we brought this up. Yeah. Okay. Flaming hot Cheeto Mountain Dew. That's what it is. I Fucking actually gross. Looked, right? I looked for one when I was at the store earlier, just in case. Yeah. But then I couldn't find one. But I will go. What heinous monstrosity. Someone named Chad Kyle. Chile? Kyle Chad. Cad. McManus. Sure. <laughs> Why? I don't know. That just felt right. Chad it, it might Smith be right. Miller. It might be. It Kyle might be. Chad. First, that's his first name. Kyle Chad. Kyle Chad. Uh-huh. Trent McManus. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also goes by Bryce. God. Went to school with a guy named Bryce. Trent Christ. Trent Christ. Trent Christ. Trent. Well, Motherfucking we, we don't Christ. have a beverage to try, but I do have snacks. Did you bring snacks? Snack. Good, because I am kind of stoned and uh, hungry. Oh, good. In general. So. Okay. Well, what do you want first? Uh, I've got I've got a sweet and I've got a spicy. What do you Ooh. prefer? Let's start with the spicy and Let's start end with, with some spice. Sweet. Some spice. So these. Oh, just did that ASMR for ASMR. a second. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna get real, real good in a second. Okay. Because these are <laughs> pushu pushu <laughs> noodles. It's noodle snack. Oh fuck yes! Don't boil it. Smash it. Dope. And it's spicy rice cake flavor. Fuck yeah! So, Let's do okay. this. I really like this cartoon yeah. situation. Looks like a uh, a little a little dude, a little aviator with a hammer. He's a, he's a little aviator. Just or repairman with goggles. Monchin' them nudes. I nudes love monchin' nudes. Monchin' nudes. So it's basically nudes just munch. ramen that you eat. Okay. Is this okay, by the way, back here? Is this true? No, you're fine. Okay. Yeah. okay. I did not even notice it until you pointed it out. Okay. Well, I did notice I, I, it, and then I my forgot. My computer screensaver is going off. I just want to make sure it's uh, not that one's, that one's fucking fine. with her biz. It's not rapid. Okay. So you pour or the... It's, it's just like ramen. You pour the little yeah, sauce thing in there. Because so, I know... You... I used to have friends in college that would do this, where they would get the ramen, and instead of eating it, like cooking it, they would just... I would do that. Which I have never done. I personally like the fan of raw ramen. Ooh, oh, shit. balls. Did I just say I personally like the fan of raw ramen? I think you did. You did. Okay. You did. Okay. How's, how's that in your ear holes? Stoned and tired. That's going to sound weird when I set the EQs for your voice, too. <laughs> it's especially going to be weird. Okay. Okay. I think... Oh, it smells. I've got to shake it up a little so, bit. So, sorry, listener. I'm not chopping that up to make it bearable. <laughs> You're just going to have to deal with it. it. Dog hair. I don't have the time or the energy. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> oh. Ladies and gentlemen, our first dick story from Z in oh, six months. You keep throwing that <laughs> shit I at do, yourself. But it's it is difficult to munch and spice and get it evenly spiced and munch. spice. Okay. There's a, that's a big old. Okay. All right. Okay. I don't know how I feel about this. You first. It smells good. It does. It smells like it would be very good boiled ramen. This is going to be crunchy. Yeah, it just looks like raw fucking ramen. Uh. Yeah, that's good. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I like it. Tasty. Good snack. Good snack. And then... I'm going to be doing this... Uh, 10 out of 10. Until it's gone throughout yeah. the rest of the episode. Would recommend. Pushu pushu. And then... I'm here for the pushu pushu. I got these when I ordered from my favorite British corner shop. Mm-hmm. Strawberry cheesecake flavored Oreos. Fuck. Yes. 100%. I was like, okay, though. 100%. Just fucking wrap it up, put it in my butt. Let's do this. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost ready. Cylindrical enough. Lube them up, put them in there. Yeah. Butt stuff. 
strawberry cheesecake butt stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it just smells heavenly. These smell mm. real good. It kind of smells like the birthday cake Oreos, mm-hmm. which are my favorite. Get out of here and into my mouth. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, yeah. A good snack day on Ghost and Hunts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, nothing weird, just... Raw ramen. Uncooked ramen. Ramen. Raw, raw ramen. There's a W in there. (laughs) (laughs) I found those at Fubon, by the way, if you ever decided you needed more. Where? Fubon. It's the Asian supermarket on 82nd. Way down on 82nd. And Foster? Not that far. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Opposite end of Clackamas Town Center. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Good I to needed know. to go there to buy some enoki mushrooms, and I was like, "Well, let's just do a wander in the chip aisle and see what's happening today." What were you making that needed enoki mushrooms? Um, I was going to make ramen. Oh, okay, yeah. Fair. And then I instead you bought ramen. Instead, I bought ramen. Um, but yeah, because I am in love with enoki mushrooms. Oh. Somebody that made a noise. Bingled. Bangled. Um, do we have any backhoes? Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. But let me, mm-hmm. let me open my trapper keeper. I was going to say, I mean, wow, it is ASMR day <laughs> up in fucking here. Yes. Um, in the hizzy. Yeah. <clears throat> Ooh, and I've got Oreo mouth. That's why I only like, eat out the inside. Huh. <laughs> the second it came out of my mouth. I saw your face and heard your mouth. <laughs> phrasing. Yeah, if there is any moment on this show that perfectly represents phrasing. Yeah. It was absolutely that. I only eat out the, okay. Yep. Backhoes, continue our. Uh, continue our. Yep. <laughs> Today's a day. It is a day. It's I've a been, day. I've been up for too long. Uh oh. No. You problem. have been. I have been. Five fifty-five. Ooh. No. I actually got up earlier than that. I got up like. <laughs> I got up at like five thirty. No. Because I know myself, and if I don't set my alarm a certain amount of time before I actually need to, then I will snooze seventeen times mm. and sleep through when I need to be awake. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I will just get up earlier than I should and deal with it. But also that way I have more time to like take a shower if I want to, feed the dogs. Grab some breakfast. Some breakfast. You, we talked I'm, about that today. Yeah, I'm usually not super hungry right when I wake up because I'm still trying to remember how to be a human person. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, for this week my schedule is 6 to 2.30. Mm. So I had to get up early. Um I was telling Randall earlier, my trainer for this week was talking about something and she said fall foliage and I almost died <laughs> laughing. Thankfully, I was muted because she was talking to a customer or a traveling. Oh, guy. okay. And I was like, mm, 
<laughs> I like I like foliage. She reminded me of an episode of The Simpsons. Foliage. Yeah, no, got nothing. Yeah. Anyhow, um, back home. Yes. So first, shout out to new patrons, Ooh. Cassandra and Amelia, <laughs> aka <laughs> Sissy Number Two. Sissy Number Two. Yeah. Hey y'all. Hey. Uh, all your stuff has been sent. Um, and then a shout out to Chloe, our our child listener. Hi, Chloe. Hi. I sent you some stuff. Hey, girl. Hey. Yeah. Um, and then how old is child? Well, um, Chloe is the daughter of a comedian in Canada named Rob that I am friends with, mm-hmm. and I've been on his podcast before. And so, Rob, who? Green. Okay. Thought you were gonna say Hubel. My fucking, you know Rob Hubel. No, would be rad if I did. Yeah, it really would be. Wouldn't be here. <laughs> or you would. I would absolutely. Yeah. Be. <laughs> Rob Hubel's one of those guys where you see him and you're like, "That's oh, that guy." Mm-hmm. And then if you're a comedian, you're like, "Fucking Rob, just always popping up in everything." Love that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm just listening. I know, I just looked over and you had your hoodie string in your mouth. I was like, well, that's different. Um, And then also, thank you to everyone for the messages that you've sent me after last week's episode. That was very nice. Get some, like, trauma bonding messages? Uh, not, Not trauma bonding, per se. Just, you know, shared experiences Mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So... That's Thank stuff you and thing. For everybody that sent me nice, lovely messages. It was wonderful. Um, also, we, we love nice messages around here. We do. It's true. Um, if you send me one, eat my ass. Uh, yes. And if we'll it's. read it. If it's dumb enough, oh, absolutely yeah. we'll read mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. If you're pissed off about something real fucking <laughs> stupid, we'll read it. We've right done it out before. Yep. We'll do it again. Um, mm. Also, GS. Because we record on Mondays. We do. Sundays are now dedicated in the evenings to Barry. Because mm-hmm. it's back after fucking eternity. Yep. It is back. I have no idea what y'all are talking about. My husband, Bill Hader's show, Barry. Oh, okay. Got yes. it. Which I think you would actually really like. Yeah. All right. It is very good. So I'm good. spilling this shit everywhere. Well, well, you have a dog. She might like spicy ramen. She might. She might. Mm-hmm. So there you go. But yeah, premiered, uh, season three premiere last it's night. It's so good. I have, <laughs> I have to watch it again because it was so good. Uh-huh. My brain just stopped braining. It just short-circuited because I was I'm like, it's been like three years. I'm stoked mm-hmm. that this is, and it was so good. Mm-hmm. Written, directed, produced, and starring Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Yeah. Bill Hader. That episode in particular. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. When I tell you, I held my breath during the last few minutes of that show. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, yeah. oh no, oh no, oh no, no. What is happening? And then just... 
get back in the trunk. And I'm like, ah! yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I saw someone on Twitter say that Bill Hader is the only person that could play both Batman and the Joker. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And then somebody else posted something earlier today about how fans of Bill Hader's only get like two pictures of him every six months and they're always blurry. And I'm like, Bill Hader's my favorite cryptid. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, if you haven't watched Barry, go watch Barry. Do it. It's on HBO Max. Worth it because HBO Max is also home of a lot of great shows. It really is. Righteous Gemstones, is that still on there? Yeah. Just finished season three a couple weeks ago. It's one of the best shows ever. I need to go back and start that one from the beginning. Righteous Mm -hmm. Gemstones? Mm -hmm. It's really good. Oh, okay. Uh, John Goodman is in it. Mm -hmm. Do you love me some John Goodman? Danny McBride. Danny McBride is in it. Love Uh, me some Danny McBride. What's that one guy's name? Adam Devine. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, I was, you know, the squinty guy with the face. Yes, Adam Devine. He yeah. is also very Jesus funny. Christ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Making messes with the Raymond. The Raymond. So it's so tiny. It's such is. little little chunks that I can't. If I, it's not like you know, ever anyway. I yeah. may have overmunched. What about? Sorry, you might have. Yeah, but they were all they were still like huge blocks. Yeah. And so shit. Fuck. You know what? It's fine. But yeah. yeah, go watch Barry. I'm still recovering. I would love to speak with Anthony Kerrigan again because he is. No ho, Hank, dude. Jesus Christ. That scene, though, when he came home. Uh huh. Unexpected. Mm hmm. It was unexpected for everybody. I was like, wait, is there something that I forgot? Because that is 100% something I have and will do again. But I'm like, no, that was not. That was not a thing. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a thing. And oh, oh, I just, it's so good that I know something very bad is going to come of it. Uh-huh. And I am nervous. Is this the last season? No, they've, uh, as far as I know, been signed on for another season at least. Okay. At least one more. That show is incredibly high stakes for not having a final. Truly. Yeah. Truly, so I'm like, okay, they can't, they can't, they can't do anything physically permanent to Hank, right? Because he's too integral to everything. But that doesn't mean they can't do something permanently mentally scarring, right? <laughs> Which, ugh. if they if they turn him into like a super villain and he loses all of his humor, that's going to be a pretty intense turn. Oh, yeah. That dude's very funny. Yes. I could see Noho Hank becoming very dark. Like Tuco. He's also, Anthony Kerrigan himself is like just a really great villain in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people loved him on Gotham, mm. which I did not watch. I didn't but either. he was apparently a very wonderful villain on that show. Um, but also, he is a lovely human person to chat with. Which was one of the best things that I got to do in all of 2020. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to Anthony Kerrigan for a little while. Cool. About Bill and Ted 3, specifically. Mm. But did talk briefly about Barry. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, who goes first? Oh, balls. I'm pretty sure you do. Okay. Yeah, because you started, mm-hmm. then 
Yeah, you did that one. Yeah, it was you started when I did Grim Sleeper, and then I went, and then, yeah, so now it's you. Yeah, okay. So then you end it with I do. what looks like a fuck ton of pages. Thankfully, this is every single, okay. not just today. It's the this ones that you've been The whole uh, opus. All of it. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And we're starting fresh today. Oh, I'm going to tell the whole thing to all recap, over again. To recap, here's not a 30-second coverage, but <laughs> three hours, strap in. <laughs> Last time on Ghosts and Hoes. All right, so I have a story today. Yeah. I do. So do you all remember the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Well, if you don't, or if you haven't seen it, let me get you up to speed. Or read it. Or, or yes, The Shawshank Redemption is a 1994 movie written and directed by Frank Darabont based on the 1982 Stephen King novella Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Tells the story of Baker Andy Dufrance, played by Tim Robbins, who sends to life Shawshank State Penn for the murders of his wife and her lover. Um, over the following two decades, he befriends fellow prisoner, contraband smuggler Ellis Red Redding, played by Morgan Freeman. And becomes instrumental in a money laundering operation led by the prison warden. Great fucking movie, so go watch it. I think it's also in different seasons, the book, which is full of... His novellas. It's that, Apt Pupil, and The Body, which is uh, Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. Yep, 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 yep. And there's one more, but I always forget what it is because I don't think it was a movie. It is currently on Netflix, by the way. Shawshank? Nice. Now... If you've seen the movie, then you're aware of the amazingly beautiful prison building that was Shawshank State. Well, I'm here to talk about the very real and very haunted prison that was used in the film. And if you're a paranormal investigator or enthusiast, then I'm sure she's on your list. Because today we're going to talk about the Ohio State Reformatory, Ooh. a.k.a. Mansfield Reformatory. It's the same place. So the building, also known as Mansfield Reformatory, is a historic prison located in Mansfield, Ohio, was built between 1880. 86 and 1910 and remained in operation until 1990 when a United States federal court ruling, the Boyd Consent Decree, ordered the facility to be closed. The history of the Ohio State Reformatory began in 1862. The field where the reformatory would eventually be built was used as a training camp for Civil War soldiers, and the camp was named Camp Mordecai Bartley in honor of the Mansfield man who served as Ohio governor in the 1840s. In 1867, the town of Mansfield became candidate for the placement of the new Intermediate Penitentiary, which was the original name before it was changed to Ohio State. The city raised $10,000, which was a fuck ton of money back then, to purchase 30 acres of land for the prison, and the state acquired 150 acres of adjoining land for another 20000 The cost of the facility was 1326000 the intermediate was intended as just that, a halfway point between the Boys Industrial School in Lancaster and the State Penitentiary in Columbus, which was in, intended to house young first-time offenders. Construction began in 1886 and remained under construction till 1910 due to funding problems which caused some construction delays. That's why it took so long. The original architect for the design was Levi T. Schofield from Cleveland, who used three architectural styles. Victorian Gothic, 
Richardsonian Romanesque and Queen Anne. What year did you say this was finished? 1910 was when it was finished. It started in 1886. Doing some today money calculation. <clears throat> 1.3 million, yeah? Mm-hmm. So Schofield designed the reformatory with these unique styles to help encourage inmates to become reborn back into their spiritual lives and away from their sinful lifestyle and toward repentance. So the creation and construction of the entire building was entrusted to well-known architect F.F. Schnitzer, whose name appears on the cornerstone and is recorded as superintendent and supervising architect on all the documents found in the building, on the building. So in 1891, the name was changed from Intermediate Penitentiary to Ohio State Reformatory. The building is actually really fucking pretty, and it doesn't look like a prison at all. Um, in fact, it has French chateau spires, intricate brickwork, and stained glass windows, and it looks more like a grand hotel that would house the rich and famous in the turn of the century than a prison. It's really fucking pretty. So, did you look up the money? I did. Uh, it ha- the the base starts at nineteen thirteen, so I just went from there. Uh, a little over thirty seven million dollars. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fucking beautiful building. So, um, on September fifteenth, eighteen ninety six, the reformatory opened its doors to its first one hundred and fifty offenders. These prisoners were brought by train from Columbus and put immediately to work on the prison sewer system and the twenty five foot stone wall that would surround the complex. The goal of the institution was to reform and rehabilitate its inmates. They received three things during their time at OSR, religion, education, and a trade. There were charter schools on the grounds, and the inmates were trained in everything from from woodworking to farming. And they were the ones that would work on the building itself. So inmates were admitted for 18 months, and if they showed progress, they would be released after that time. If not, they would be given another 18-month sentence. And the model was successful, and OSR had a high success rate and a low rate of reoffenders. From 1935 until 1959, Arthur Lewis Glatke was the superintendent. Initially, he was a political... Back up. Initially a political appointment following his work on the Martin Davy campaign, he, who was the governor of the time. He was, by all accounts, well-respected by the employees and the inmates. He implemented many reforms, and he would pipe in radio music to all his cell blocks. Hmm. Yeah, good dude. Glatke's wife, Helen Bauer Glatke, died of pneumonia three days following an accident in 1950 where a handgun went off and she was shot while she was reaching into a jewelry box in the family quarters there at the prison. And then nine years later, Arthur would have a heart attack and die in his office on February 10th, 1959. Mm -hmm. By the early 60s, the state pulled its financial support from the reform model and began converting OSR into a maximum security facility a purpose for which it was never intended. Here with, it comes. Yep, with prisoners spending most of their days in cells as small as eight by five feet. Oy, oy. The prison developed a reputation for what activists called brutalizing and inhumane conditions. Uh-huh. The reformatory was getting crowded and overpopulation bred conflict and disease. At times, guards were forced to double the occupancy of death row cells, which in at least one instance, resulted in an inmate's death. And I will get there. In the hole, or solitary, two men were placed into the same cell, but only one came out. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, that checks out. 
Yeah, the other had been killed and was stuffed under the bunk. <clears throat> the reformatory remained in full operation until December 1990 when it was closed via federal court order as the result of a prisoner's class action suit citing overcrowding and inhumane conditions. District Judge Frank J. Batiste of the United States District Court of the Northern District of Ohio ordered the prison closed by the end of December 1986. This order was known as the Boyd Consent Decree. The closing date was moved to 1990 due to delays in constructing the replacement facility, the Mansfield Correctional Institution, which now stands to the west of the old prison. The reformatory sat empty for several years until local activists rallied to purchase the building from the state for $1. Oh, well, that's And then nice. they committed to repairing and restoring the structure, which they still do to this day. Now, as we know, prisons tend to be pretty fucking haunted for many reasons, and OSR is no different. Over 200 people died within her walls, including two guards, which isn't too bad for how long she was open. During its 94 years as a working prison, 154,000 inmates passed through the gates of the Ohio State Reformatory. Many died of diseases like influenza, tuberculosis. Some went crazy, and some committed suicide, hanging themselves. And at least one inmate lit himself on fire. Oh, no. Just outside the reformatory stands 215 numbered graves. While the prison's day-to-day just being a prison was probably enough to leave a layer of ick, there were certain events that may contribute to her paranormal activity. In the late 1930s, a riot broke out in the east cell block, so the guards punished the 120 rioters by forcing them to share 12 solitary confinement cells for one week. Oh, no. Without food or water. And this punishment made many of them, some of them died, and some just lost their goddamn minds. Yeah. So here are some other instances. On November 2nd, 1926, a paroled inmate returned and shot prison guard Urban Wilford. Two months later, the murderer, Philip Orlek, was arrested, and then a year later he was executed in the Ohio Penitentiary in Columbus. October 2nd, 1932, Frank Hanger, a guard, was beaten to death with an iron bar during an escape attempt by 12 inmates, two of them, Merrill Chandler and Chester Proboski were found guilty and were executed via electric chair in 1935. July 21, 1948, the farm superintendent, his wife, and their 20-year-old daughter were kidnapped from their home on the honor farm by two former inmates, John Wist and Robert Daniels. The pair then murdered the entire family in a cornfield off of Fleming Falls Road. Wist and Daniels, known as the Mad Dogs, went on a two-week crime spree, leaving six people dead. They were later found near Van Wert, where a shootout resulted in the death of Wist and Daniels' capture. Daniels was executed in the electric chair. So the most haunted locations at the prison, per Scott Sukel, who is the ghost hunt manager on the grounds, says um, the east wing, first floor, the toilet room and east showers, the third floor, middle admin building, there's shadow people, audible voices, footsteps, the feeling of not being alone is the norm. And the ghost of Helen Glatke haunts the administration wing of the building. Rose-scented perfume can be smelled in the bathroom that was once hers. And cold spots are felt 
in the hallways, and visitors' cameras will not work until they leave the wing, and sometimes the voices of Helen and her husband can be heard in the admin building. The sub-basement, apparently this area was even avoided when the building was still in operation. The chapel, apparently there the ghosts are real handsy. The West Attic... Apparently, a very well-known paranormal, <laughs> and these are the words of uh, Scott. A very well-known paranormal celeb had an experience up there and refused to go back in. I'm not going to say who it was. I'll just say that he grabbed his scarf and walked out. <laughs> you and I know exactly who that is, yeah. Mr. Chip Coffee. Uh, the admin basement, there seems to be two different entities down there. One is nice. The other is not. The cell blocks east and west where many murders and suicides took place. The East Cell Blocks were once listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the largest freestanding group of cells, and now they supposedly hold just as many ghosts. One of these spirits belonged to a ma- the man who set himself on fire in his cell. He apparently doused himself with kerosene and lit a match. By the time the guards got to him, it was too late, and his skin was already falling off in chunks. He haunts the cell where he died and sometimes shows himself to visitors. Oh, goodness. So I can only imagine what that would be like. A literal waking nightmare. Yeah. Then there's the hole. Which is supposed to be very haunted, too. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Eating the inside that happened. Oh, Eating the God. inside of that haunted hole. Yeah. yeah, so some other locations that are said to have activity. The basement of Mansfield Reformatory, where the spirit of a fatally beaten 14-year-old boy allegedly appears alongside a prison guard who is not very nice. The prison cemetery, located near the building, contains the bodies of at least 200, 215 to be exact, that are numbered. There could be more. Um, The cemetery is reportedly hard to photograph. Most cameras stop working once visitors set foot on its grounds, and small items like the metal grave markers supposedly are move around on their own. They will just show up in other places. Well, okay. The stairs leading to the guard tower are haunted by unseen entities who forcefully push visitors, and disembodied voices are also heard in that area. The prison infirmary, a place once filled with sick and dying prisoners, is said to be filled with ghosts. While in operation, the infirmary routinely failed to meet the needs of the ailing inmates, some of whom died of neglect and starvation. And according to paranormal investigators, this area gives off the highest electromagnetic readings. And then there is the road to the prison itself that is supposedly haunted by a woman named Phoebe Wise. While alive, Wise endured a bit of a shit storm, surviving multiple robberies in her own house, even killing a stalker on her doorstep. So let me get to this. Uh, Years upon years of terrible circumstances made Wise into a bit of a hermit, with the local children calling her a witch. So here's her story. Phoebe was the youngest of ten children born to Christian and Julia Wise, who came to Richland County in 1833. Her father was a civil engineer and an educator. Her mother was also a schoolteacher. The family eventually settled on a large farm outside of Mansfield that included land that would one day be uh, part of Ohio State Reformatory grounds. In fact, her father sold some of his land to the city to build the prison. 
Phoebe lived in a small farmhouse directly across the road from Ohio State Reformatory. After her father's death in 1887, the house fell into disrepair with Phoebe living inside alone. She was content to live her hermit life like life, and she was surrounded by gardens. She let them grow wild. She had dogs. She didn't work, and money issues actually caused her to sell half the land. But for some reason, people thought she was rich, and the rumors were that she had a fortune stuffed into the walls of her home. So on Christmas Eve, 1891, three young men, shitheads in their 20s, decided to rob her. Phoebe, in her room, heard something in the house, so she walked into the sitting room and found the three young men holding guns with bandanas over their faces. One grabbed Phoebe by the throat as the other yelled for the money. They then tied her to a chair, and she told them truthfully that there was no treasure. And then one of the men lit a torch and burned her feet, trying to torture the secret out of her. Oh! They ransacked her house, but found nothing, got a little bit of jewelry. And then this is, this, this is all recorded in the papers. They asked if they could help themselves to some of the fresh baked pie in the kitchen, which they did. They tied this woman to a chair, burnt the fuck out of her feet, and then asked her if they could have some pie, and then they left. So Phoebe freed herself, contacted the police. She recovered from her injuries, but was left with a limp for the rest of her life. Mm. The story was covered in newspapers far and wide, and she received a lot of fan mail, marriage proposals, and unwanted offers of manly protection. One of her new admirers was a young man named Jacob Kastanowitz, and he became infatuated with Phoebe. Oh, boy. He'd visit Reformatory Road, her Reformatory Roadhouse many nights. He'd tap on her window, he'd knock on her door, and he would just watch her through the windows. No. Then one night, Jacob, eventually telling the police that Phoebe's beautiful piano music enticed him to go into the house where he assaulted her. Mm-hmm. He was arrested, sent to jail, and then from jail directly to an asylum because he was crazy. Well, guess what, y'all? They let him out. And in May 1898, he went right back to Phoebe's house. And Jacob yelled through her open window, Marry me or kill me, Phoebe Wise. Well, she chose the latter. Yeah. She's standing at the window. She walked up, pointed a motherfucking rifle out the window, and killed him instantly. The Mansfield News Journal said it best the next day. Phoebe Wise rids herself of an intolerable nuisance. (laughs) A public inquest was held at which Wise declared simply, I'm not guilty. And she refused to answer any other questions. The crowd, made up of mostly women, erupted into cheers when the prosecutor declared the case justifiable homicide and declined to press any charges against Phoebe Wise. Fuck yeah. Right? So as Phoebe grew older, she made less frequent trips into town, but she would still occasionally ride the streetcar into Mansfield wearing very long outdated Victorian gowns in all of her eccentric glory. Phoebe Wise died in 1933 of old age. Her home was left abandoned, but not for long. Locals who still believed in the treasure broke in, tore Apart the floors and walls, but nothing was ever found. And the house is now long gone, unfortunately. A distant memory in an empty field, but Phoebe is still there. Her ghost has been seen walking along Reformatory Road at night, and she's been seen by paranormal investigators looking out the windows of the Reformatory. Mm. 
So whether you believe in ghosts or not, but let's be real, you're listening to our show. So there's that. Ohio State Reformatory is a beautiful building and totally worth visiting if you get the chance. There's plenty of tours and ghost hunt packages available. There's also many paranormal events held there throughout the year. And the prison has been featured on literally every fucking paranormal show out there. I wouldn't even begin to try and list them all. No, it's literally everyone. All of them. The Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society is currently working to restore the facility to its original state, and the restorations are being funded through donations and the tour fees. So if you get a chance, go and support some history. And that is the story of the Ohio State Reformatory. They also do live music there. They hold all kinds of events there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it seems pretty cool. But, yeah, so there's that. Yeah. Uh... To tack on to part of that story, because mm-hmm. you, know, you probably noticed it doing your research, when they, they converted out over to maximum prison around the early to mid-60s, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, that was something that happened nationwide. Mm-hmm. A lot of prisons did that, and you notice that there is a massive uptick in prisoner population starting in the early to mid-60s. So to those of you listening, research the prison industrial complex, <laughs> and a great place to start is by watching 13th on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Thank you. And uh, also, I had to look up the fourth story in different seasons because it was going to drive me absolutely bananas. Ah, yes. Uh, it is called The Breathing Method. Oh. And I said that it was the only story in that book that has not been made into a movie. Guess what? It's being made into a movie. Of course. Uh, guess who? Oh, wow. St- <clears throat> is, the screenplay is being written by Scott Teams, who just did Halloween Kills. Okay. Uh, but it's being directed by Scott Derrickson. I don't know who that is. Who is that? Uh, Exorcism of Emily Rose, okay. Sinister, okay. Doctor Strange. Okay. He's got some good. I thought Doctor Strange. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking of Doctor Sleep. Oh, yeah, no, 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 Doctor Strange. It's like, Doctor Sleep was Mike Flanagan. But yeah, he's he's done. Oh, he... Oh, he wrote Urban Legends Final Cut. Okay. But yeah, Sinister is probably my favorite of his. Because it was great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it will be a movie. Apparently it went into development in 2019. Okay. So someday, all four of those stories will be movies. Huh. All right. So uh, my sources are OhioMagazine.com, Lindsay Selman, MRPS.org, TravelChannel.com, BBC.com, Karen Gardner, RichlandSource.com, Tipothy. I'm sorry, what? Mm -hmm. Tipothy? Yep. Timothy Brian McKee. Tipothy McKee. (laughs) Tipothy McKee. And Chad Kyle Trent Manus. Yep. <laughs> OhioHistory.org, Matt Benz, GhostWalks.com, Ghost Guide Daniel, and Ranker, Amanda Sedlak Hevner. Fuck yeah, Amanda Sedlak Hevner. Yeah, she's always coming through with the info, man. She is. She's always coming through. Well, gee, what do you have? Like we don't know. Last time. How how uh Finally. how girthy is this is this finale? I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Girth. It's it's not it didn't turn out as long as I thought mm-hmm. it would be. But also that's probably because I have spent a year researching 
and two full weeks before this one writing. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to leave some stuff out. I'm doing it. Usually I wouldn't, but I'm sick of this man. Oh, yeah. No, I did. Sick you of it. You tortured yourself Tru- with a, for a year Truly. with this shit. Truly. Truly. Masochism. Well, it's a story that needs to be told. Yeah, no, I get it. And so God we're it. basically into the trial now, right? Well, we're about to be. Yeah. We're about to Yeah, be. he hasn't yeah. been caught yet. Not just yet. He's Real about close, to, though. But we are... We are. We... <laughs> last time uh, was when... Uh, he went on his his little his little slumber. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they think. Right, and then he. But but yeah. Anyhow, oh boy, I'm so ready for this to be done. So he's got to be like one of the only serial killers after like the late '90s. Um, no. There's not a ton of them. Less than. In the 70s and 80s, but they still exist. In fact, there is an active serial killer in Chicago right now. Really? But mm, 99% sure, yes. Wow. Yeah. My friend lives there. And she sent me a link to an article, which I accidentally deleted, so I'll have to make her do it again. But uh, send it to me again, because she's like... Do I need to look out? Is there a serial killer? I'm like, you live in Chicago, so yeah. I mean, regardless, yeah. <laughs> it's Chicago, so hey. One at the very least. <laughs> at the minimum one currently. But yeah, so I'll have to get that from her. But I'm not going to be talking about murders for a couple weeks at least because, oh boy, I don't want to. That's fair. <laughs> My mom was like, can you do something? Maybe like the haunted bunk beds. <laughs> I'm like, well, number one, nothing will ever be as great as the haunted bunk beds. D- d- impossible. Because mm-hmm. that fucking story is just so good. But don't you worry. I'll, f- I'll find something. I'll find something. Maybe more of the Noid. Oh, the fucking Noid. That was also. That was a good one, too. That was a treat. That wasn't. It was as fun for me to write as it was for you to hear it. <laughs> Try to find some story about the Six Flags dancing old man. Ooh. See if that's something you can... Because it's a woman. That's the only thing I know. Those commercials gave me the absolute wiggins. See if there's something it sinister behind that ad. Creeped me the fuck yeah, out. I'm like, of course. no. Or... No. The uh, the Quiznos. I was just gonna say the creepy Quiznos the hamster. Quiznos sponge monkeys. That's what they were called. Yeah. We love the subs. That. Good to us. That commercial was also a curse. Yeah. It On was. an entire generation, <laughs> Quiznos was like, "We don't really have great food. They have a pepper bar, but we'll uh, have a pepper bar. We'll put a hex on an entire <laughs> generation of people." Do they even exist anymore? Quiznos? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, then they also done Hex themselves. Yeah. I do wish Togos came up here, though. That'd be nice. <gasps> we had, we used to have one. Sh- where? Is there's one still where? exists? You there's fucking tell one. me. You there used tell to be me. one. You it's tell on, me right now. It's on now. Beaverton Hillsdale Highway. Oh. It's, Son uh, of a bitch. Kind of like Jesuit-ish area. Uh, oh. I need to go get myself a number 11. That place uh, is... We used Togos to have is one the shit. Out that bread. in Clackamas. Yeah. 
Oh God! It's oh, you the did? Shit. Yeah. Forever, uh, forever and ever. And then it turned into Machismo Mouse briefly. Oh God, I remember Machismo dis- Mouse. God, it was so gross. Um, I don't think those existed anymore. Speaking it of which, yeah, this Togos. was a long time ago. Pacific Northwest, fucking quit your obsession with Muchas Gracias. The place is garbage. It's garbage Mexican food. It's garbage. There's so many. It's terrible. I think I've been there one time, and I don't disagree. It's awful. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to take that to a very negative place. But but yeah, no, Togo's was. Togo's is so good. The the turkey sub with avocado. Everything. Yeah. 9920 Southwest Beaverton Hill. You know what's funny? Now that I think about it, I feel like I passed it to and from your house the last time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at the menu right now. God, that bread. I don't know. I don't mm. It's bread. It's actual bread. If you've mm-hmm. got a Togo's anywhere near you, fucking get, go. Get go. Togoing. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Let me have this. I, uh, I can't not. It's fucking true. <laughs> it's true. Give me another Oreo then. Okay. She makes stupid jokes. She pays the price on Oreos. I mean, hey. I'm going to have to buy a lot of Oreos. Costco, here I come. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. <laughs> but have you had the birthday cake ones? Probably. They're, they're my favorite. They're my favorite. Am I procrastinating? Yes. Well, this isn't... We're finally on the upswing. Where it's, where it's not as infuriating anymore. Yay! Yay! So, fucking... Here we go. Mm-hmm. In 2001, a cold case task force was put together to investigate more than 9,000 murders dating back to 1960. Uh, And this is just in Los Angeles and possibly other parts of California, but specifically L.A. 9,000 murders dating back to 1960. Mm Mm-hmm. In an unsurprising move, detectives were often met with roadblocks when they discovered that evidence pertaining to their cases had been destroyed long ago. Uh, While searching through evidence related to the Southside Slayer case, thankfully, trace DNA evidence still remained. Mm -hmm. Some of it, Mm -hmm. not all of it. Um, Detective Cliff Shepard pointed out, you would think that somebody involved in those activities would have been arrested and had a DNA sample taken. Which I've already mentioned in either part one or two as to why Franklin's DNA wasn't in the system. Nonviolent offender, mm-hmm. so they thought at the time. The dinner. Mm-hmm. So detectives were combing through the old case files and following up on any leads in the hopes of finally finding their guy, who they still believed was Ricky Ross at the time. That mm-hmm. um, officer I talked about last week. Uh, in 2004, Shepard and other investigators were stoked when the saliva samples taken in 1987 from the blood of or from the body of Mary Lowe matched the DNA found on the bodies of Princess Bertha Mew and Valerie McCorvey, leading Shepard to tell the LA Weekly, I thought, holy shit, this guy is out there working. I was not expecting that. However, that meant that Ricky Ross wasn't their guy. He had died a month before Valerie McCorvey was murdered. Mm. So While they were able to link these murders to the ones from the 80s, they still had no real leads on a suspect. I lied. There's one one more infuriating thing. It's just a fun 
And if you're just a little tidbit. Uh, remember how Franklin served a stint in 2003 right before the murder of Valerie McCorvey? Mm-hmm. Well, he was sentenced to three years probation for that felony charge. In 2004, the state of California passed Prop 69. Nice. Uh, which expanded the DNA database and required DNA samples to be collected from anyone that had been convicted of a felony or people um, who'd been arrested on specific charges that I did not look up. But uh, it also required the expansion of the database itself. I will say I'm happy that Prop 69 has to do with DNA. Right. Extra nice. (laughs) So double nice. With Rick Ross. Mm Mm-hmm. So he did kill people, though. No. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Why Why did they think he was a they, suspect? Because they had pulled him over, and there had been murders. They pulled Ross over. He was doing crack cocaine mm. with a sex worker in the vehicle. Okay. And they're like... Well, you're not supposed to be So they were like, hmm, we wonder if maybe he's involved because he's already doing these okay. illicit activities. Maybe he's our guy because he also kind of fit the description that had been given. They're like, hmm, maybe. And they also just really wanted this to be over. Mm-hmm. So they're like, this is the guy. So they tested, they did ballistics on his gun. It did not match the Southside slings because he used a nine millimeter, okay. not a twenty-five caliber. Um, but the ballistics tests done by the LAPD, they said that his gun was the one. An independent ballistics test was done, and they said no. Twas nay. Twas nay. So he was released because they were like. Mm-mm. Right. There's not right. enough physical evidence okay. to prove it. And after that, a few, more than a few officers in involved in the Southside Slayer case were like, he fucking did it. Mm-hmm. And he's also the fucking Southside Slayer. Got it. Okay. But they, then it, it took until a decade plus later when they're like, oh, well, the same gun used in the murder from the 80s was used in this murder in 2003, and he just died. So So there's no way he could have committed this murder. Because he's dead. Because he did. Heard. Understood. Got it. Yes. So. Okay. That that was why. But they they held on to him for, it was like a big red herring. Got it. Kind of situation. Like, they weren't going to let it go until, you know, he died and... People kept dying. Huh. Yeah. All right. Good old LAPD. Good old LAPD. So, Prop 69, double nice. Um, it required, again, required DNA samples from anybody that was convicted of a felony um, and then certain other crimes, which I did not look into because I was too focused on this specific situation. Um, Franklin's DNA was supposed to have been collected. But his probation officers didn't collect samples from anyone that was on unsupervised probation between November 2004 and August of 2005 due to a lack of resources. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
They could have got him right then and there, right after Valerie McCorvey, or even potentially before. But they didn't. They They didn't. They didn't. So in 2007, following the murder of Janisha Peters, uh, Chief Bill Bratton formed the top secret 800 task force in order to investigate the 11 murders attributed to a single monster that had somehow kept himself in the shadows since the 1980s. He could be some computer nerd out to, um, he could be some computer nerd out there for all we know. It could be anybody. In this case, it's gone on so long, we have to be open to any possibility. Uh, which was Detective Dennis Kilcoyne talking about the case. In another interview, Kilcoyne would say that there could have been 100 different reasons for the 13-year gap in the Grim Sleepers crimes, adding, it could be we aren't connecting the cases. I'm sure we don't have a lab report for everything he's done. There could be other cases that he has done that could drastically eliminate the gap. Hmm. So. Yeah, they just. They're like, could have been not sleeping at all we just haven't connected the dots yet right enter journalist christine pelisek in 2006 christine was working on the crime beat for the le weekly and wrote about the murder of janisha peters uh, the young woman had been working on making a better life for herself and her son and had just been approved for her own place uh, she was very excited about it the mm-hmm. day before she disappeared she called her mom and was like i found a place mm-hmm. it's I did not add some quotes that her mother, because it was too sad. Mm-hmm. Too sad. Um, so after she was found dead in a dumpster, her murder did get mentioned on the local news, but it was misreported as a stabbing. Mm. Um, she wasn't even mentioned by name. They reported it, and her mom had no idea that it was her daughter. Oh, jeez. But then she she figured it out herself yeah which well i mean did they know her name uh well she was found completely naked except for a necklace i believe so she didn't have any id on her um yeah so i can't imagine that they could have and and they won't say the name until the family's notified anyway and on top of that depending on when they were reporting it versus when the body was actually discovered could play into it because if they have if the body hasn't been ID'd but the news is aware of it, they may report on it before that. Yeah, my thing is thing. they misreported it. Oh yeah, to begin with, um, I believe they also estimated her age to be much younger, mm-hmm. which also didn't help f- to be able to find someone to come and ID her. But it did happen eventually. But still, really. how how was she? Strangulation was it? Uh, how does he, how shot. Does, shot. shot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, liked. He liked to I shoot in the chest. Yeah. 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 He. She was shot in the back, I believe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and she was placed in a garbage bag, sealed with a twist eye, and left in a dumpster. Mm. Yeah, it's garbage. Just all of it is the worst. So no pun, no pun intended. None <laughs> intended. Um. So during. Christine's research, she happened upon the unsolved yet very connected murders of the Southside Slayer and discovered they um, were also most likely connected to the murder of Janisha Peters. She was like, hmm, interesting, interesting. So she started digging deeper into the cases, going so far as to seek out information from the assistant chief at the L.A. County Department of the Medical Examiner, uh, Coroner Ed Winter. 
Uh, in an interview with now defunct bitch media, Pelisek said, the detectives were shocked at my interest in the killings of the women on Winter's list. Um, they didn't get calls by journalists about prostitutes getting murdered, so they were surprised at my interest because the press mainly ignores street girls getting killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So during her investigation and hunt for the man responsible for an unchecked reign of terror, Pelisek wrote a groundbreaking piece on the case as a whole, and with the help of her editor, uh, they coined the name The Grim Sleeper. And we all know why that name was chosen, but former LA Weekly managing editor Jill Stewart put it best, he was the longest-running serial killer in the United States west of the Mississippi. He had been operating longer than anyone else that was known, and he stopped for 13 years. Or... It looked like he did. Uh, in this article, Pelisek exposed the 800 task force and called L- the LAPD and local government the fuck out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read some of that to y'all now because it is so, 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 so good. And here we go. This is from Christine Pelisek's article. Uh, there's a small room at LAPD headquarters where the public isn't allowed where the door is quickly shut to the hall, where arguments erupt and frustrations fester. It's off limits to most other detectives, no press allowed. Lest anyone forget, a memo on the wall says so. The six men inside call themselves the 800 Task Force, even though they no longer occupy room 800, having moved to a lower floor of Parker Center to make room for a sex crimes team. Their new room is cramped, the desks piled with mounds of paperwork, What is striking about their space is its main wall, heavily heavily papered with photographs of dead young women. The 800 Task Force was assembled in 2007 under Chief Bill Bratton to solve 11 perplexing murders in Los Angeles, dating from 1985. Police have followed several trails, made few arrests, and endlessly theorized about the killer or killers responsible. There we go. Homicide detectives have retired. New ones have joined the investigation. Each group thought they detected patterns. Each group thought that they had solid leads. Each was proved wrong. For four years, police have known that a single madman is out there, a man whose audacity and sick good luck have made him the most enduring serial killer in California history and the longest operating serial killer west of the Mississippi. In 1988, he stopped the slaughter for more than 13 years, then killed again in 2002 and 2003. LA Weekly has learned that he is actively murdering Angelinos again, and the single best clue to his identity may hinge on whether Attorney General Jerry Brown allows a controversial DNA probe of the California felon database. The killing began on a warm August evening in 1985 at a desperate point in U.S. urban history, a time filled with PCP rages and crack wars. Los Angeles's murder rate, and that of most big cities, had soared to an all-time high. Amid the bloodshed during a three-year period, seven young women and one man were killed and left in alleyways and dumpsters and almost exclusively along Western Avenue in South Los Angeles. Ballistics matches showed the same gun was used in each case. Then, slangs committed with 25 caliber gun abruptly halted. The crack and PCP era faded. Los Angeles became the second safest big city in America, and DNA matching became the hot new crime-solving tool. Under orders from Chief Bernard Parks, in 2001, the LAPD began delving into a backlog of unsolved cases from the violent 1990s, 80s, and earlier, testing bits of hair and skin saved from cold crimes. The LAPD's lab workers in 2004 and 2005 hit pay dirt. 
Like a long-delayed tripwire, the test found matches between new killings in 2002 and 2003, and old human traces left at the eight Western Avenue shootings in the 1980s. Uh, despite the discovery of an old serial killer back in business, detectives were spread thin on cases like that of killer Chester Turner, whose DNA has or whose DNA was linked to 14 deaths by strangulation. Chief Parks was forced out of his post by Mayor James Hahn, and newcomer Bill Bratton did not make the South L.A. serial murders a priority. Uh, in fact, detectives tell The Weekly that in 2004, one of Bratton's captains decided, in the wake of the two new murders in 2002 and 2003, that a task force wasn't even needed. Mm. Nor were elected officials paying any attention. The killings weren't going down in Silver Lake or Westwood, and the year was 2004. City Hall's leaders were transfixed by a three-way race for mayor between Hahn and Challengers, Bob Hertzberg, and Antonio Villaraigosa. Nobody with any pull, no homeowners association, no local chamber of commerce, was demanding answers to ten murders by the same guy in the poor section of town. Um, where we go? Janisha, and this is skipping forward, Janisha died at the hands of the Grim Sleeper. Yet Peters and dozens of other mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers were never told their loved ones had been killed by the same psychopath. There has been no big press conference by Bratton, who recently weighed in on Lindsay Lowen's love life. The camera-loving Villaragosa recently beseeched the public to eat nutritiously. Unlike city leaders who decried the BTK killer near Kansas City and the Green River, Ki Green River killer who terrorized Seattle, Los Angeles' city hall is either unaware or has kept news of California's longest operating killer under wraps. It's the latter. It is. Local journalists haven't even assigned him a creepy nickname like the Night Stalker. Grim Sleeper was chosen by the Weekly to mark his 13 years of inactivity before killing him again, or before killing again. Um, two key city council members who learned of the Grim Sleeper's existence for the first time this week from the Weekly hmm. had strong reactions. Bernard Parks' chief of staff and son, Bernard C. Parks Jr., whose district is ground zero in the killings, accused Chief Bratton of purposely keeping former Chief Parks in the dark. Leaving us out of the loop about something so important boggles the mind, Parks Jr. said. Councilman Jack Weiss, who has repeatedly called for DNA testing of human traces stored in cold case files, vowed to seek weekly LAPD updates on cases that are being linked to known serial killers and serial rapists. Thanks to the extraordinarily poor diplomacy extended by the Via Ragosa administration. Extermination. Words are hard. I mean... Uh, and the LAPD brass to the victims, mostly working-class black families. The Weekly was also the first to inform some families this month that the murders are known to be the work of one sick man. Uh, Laverne Peters has long, had long suspected that Janisha's death was part of something bigger. Her daughter's murder case was transferred from 77th Division to the Specialized Detectives downtown in 2007, and she knew that one easily forgotten young woman would not merit such an elite investigative crew. It doesn't take a scientist to figure it out, she says. But when LAPD, de LAPD detectives paid Peters a visit, they didn't come clean with her. The city's failure to involve the families, she believes, stems from the fact that they are poor little black girls. That's correct. Mm -hmm. A deeply frustrated Porter Alexander, who learned from this newspaper that his daughter Monique's death in 1988 was the work of the Grim Sleeper, says... We should have some awareness that it is going on again. Nobody came to us. The shade! 
of it all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like that article was pretty much the first time most people were hearing about it. Huh. Decades after it started. Mm-hmm. Wow. Including some of the families of the people that had been killed. So, wow. To say... That the LAPD dropped the fucking ball. Yeah. Would be uh, an understatement. Pretty gross understatement. Yeah. 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 Oops. Butterfingers. Which, uh, and you're telling me this isn't the first time? What? Hmm. No. Okay. That can't be correct. Like, a, there was a. Almost like there was a lady who uh, lost her kid to a serial killer and they called her hysterical for it. Mm. Almost like that happened once. And then there was a movie made about it starring Angelina Jolie. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is another good story that someday we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any hopes. After the very public call out from Pelisic to officials, uh, everyone straightened up a bit and got the fuck to work. Weird. Uh-huh. Shocking, I know. In 2008, LA officials offered a $500,000 reward for any information that led them to the killer, Damn. which was the largest reward offered at the time, I believe in the state, but quite possibly the nation. Um, the case aired on shows like America's Most Wanted. In 2009, Bill Bratton gave a press conference for the first time. The first time. What year was that? 2009. Mm. So 25 years? Mm-hmm. 24 years mm-hmm. after the first killing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I. This is the press conference where um, Margaret Prescott got up and was like, hey buddies, um, here's a big fat fucking folder got it. of information dating back to 1985. Just so you know. And also, um, please stop saying that they were just prostitutes because they weren't. Right. So that's that press conference is when that happened. God, I love her. She's got a podcast and I, Sojourner Truths, I believe is what it's called. Um, yeah. So that press conference happened and Bratton formally addressed the killer as the Grim Sleeper for the first time in public, ah. which is giving GSK for sure. Um, the month after the press conference, Christine Palasek interviewed Anitra Washington. Momentum was finally picking up, but again, DNA roadblock. Regarding this, an exasperated Detective Kilcoyne said, We had this beautiful DNA profile on somebody, and we just didn't have a name or a face to go with it. Uh, Kilcoyne and his team began working with state forensics experts, hoping to find a match, when they decided to take a slightly different approach in 2010. Familial DNA. After running it through the state's felon database, and after more than two decades, there was a hit. The killer was closely related to a young man named Christopher Franklin, who had previously been convicted of felony weapons and drug charges in 2008. There was no way Christopher had committed the murders himself, as he was far too young. So the police turned their attention to his father, Lonnie Franklin Jr. Dun, dun, dun. Finally, it has happened to me. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. 
So Franklin had been collecting a monthly pension of around $1,650 after an alleged on-the-job injury took him away from working uh, in the sanitation department, though he still managed to commit murders during that time. I heard that and was very... So it's not a hurts, yeah. I was like, did somebody it's scream? Like a, it's like a kid singing. What's happening? There's many sounds happening around me right now. But, yeah, so he claimed disability, got a pension, mm-hmm. but was still actively oh. murdering people during this time. So I'm like, Perfect. hey, buddy, can't be hurt that bad. Huge, <laughs> stupid turd. So... Law enforcement finally had him in their sights, and they weren't going to let him slip away, so they started following him. Eventually, they followed him to a birthday party, which was held at a pizza parlor pizza parlor that he had been frequenting. What's that? Can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I think I got it eventually. But yeah, they, he'd been going to a pizza place pretty regularly while they were tailing him. And on this day in particular, he went to the pizza parlor for a birthday party. Okay. So, one detective went undercover as a waiter, and after Franklin had finished his meal, the waiter gathered two plastic cups, a plate, a fork, and a slice of pizza that Franklin had left behind and sent them off to a lab uh, for testing. Of course testing. he did. Dinner! Uh-huh. A few days later, the results were in. Franklin was, without question, the grim sleeper. Yeah! Caught Quite literally, because of a pizza crust. Uh, According to District Attorney Steve Cooley, he believed that the case of the Grim Sleeper marked, and this is his quote, the first time a familial DNA search has been used successfully in the state of California. As we know, the Golden State Killer would also be brought down by familial DNA, but Franklin came first. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like... St. Michelle McNamara said he would be caught. Mm-hmm. Um, so on July 7th, 2010, police stopped Franklin as he walked out of his home, which happened to be the center of the spider web where the murders occurred. Oh, Which okay. profilers assumed as such. Uh-huh. But if you look at a map, his house is pretty Dead much- center. Pretty much in the center of- where all the bodies were found and where all the murders took place. <sighs> then they arrested him on the charges of the attempted murder of Anitra Washington and 10 counts of murder for Deborah Jackson, Henrietta Wright, Barbara Ware, Bernita Sparks, Mary Lowe, Lucretia Jefferson, Monique Alexander, Princess Bertha Mew, Valerie McCorvey, and Janisha Peters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When questioned, Franklin repeatedly denied the crime, saying, I have nothing to say. I don't know none of these people. I just have to get an attorney because I don't know none of these people. It is as simple as that. Wow. Uh, following his father's arrest, Christopher Franklin was ostracized by a number of friends, family, and members of the community for being a snitch. Uh, he rightly points out, while speaking with Nick Broomfield, that his DNA was used. He didn't turn his father in. He didn't even know that his father was responsible for all the murders. Mm -hmm. Uh, Broomfield asks Christopher if he felt guilty over the fact that his DNA led to his father's arrest. To which he replied, did I? Fuck, man, like three years, man. I just got over that. I just got over that probably this year. Oh, yeah. You got to deal with the people. 
I didn't know how to deal with that because I'm from a line where we don't have no snitches. Nobody's a tattletale. What are you doing? This is not third grade. But people look at me like that, like, oh, I told on my dad. No. If I would have known, I don't even think I wouldn't have told. I had a few of my family members tell me that I turned my dad in, you know. That was funny. They're like, you sold your dad out. We're not talking to you anymore. I haven't talked to a lot of my family members based on that because everyone thinks I turned my dad in. My family's cold. My family's real cold. Um, Franklin and his son were both incarcerated in the same prison shortly after his arrest. Uh, Christopher said that they sat in silence after his father was brought in. According to him, Franklin... Uh, speaks in a different world. Like, he's not even in there for no damn murders. He's in there for domestic violence or receiving stolen property. And that kind of bothers me. Uh-uh. That that That's the point I was going to make. You know, here's the thing. You know what? Snitches get stitches. I get that. But, you know, we're not talking petty larceny. We're not talking about... Stealing, um, stealing. Cars, we're not TVs. boxes coming off the back of a truck. Hell, we're not even talking about drug dealing. We're talking about... Brutal murders of women. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I think that they, there's there's a gray area there that I think maybe you can be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'll rob people all day long. I'll steal cars. I'll, I'll sell drugs. I'll jack people. I'll, but, I, you know, it's, there's got to be, like, yeah. there's some things that you should maybe consider yeah. saying something. I'm just going to say this as, I guess, some form of devil's advocate. Go with me for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black dude calling the LAPD for murder on his black father could have been something that he was uncomfortable with. Yeah. Because of Mm -hmm. the nature of how they're treated by cops. Well, and he didn't didn't know. He didn't even know, though. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, if he had, like, Uh, there's things that, you know, you just Even hypothetically. He said if he had known, he he wouldn't wouldn't have have. said anything. But That was my point. Right, right. I'm saying under the same condition. Very well could have That could be why. And also, for him... To say, like, if I had known, I wouldn't have told. I feel like maybe that would have been different if he actually had known. Uh He may have, because good God. Yeah. Good God. But, you know, hard to say. Yeah. Because that's his dad. Yeah. Right. And. That's a hard one. Like, I get it. But he didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't. His DNA was just in the system because he was convicted of a felony. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (sighs) But, yeah, they were in, uh, in prison Briefly at the same time. Um, And he laughed when Broomfield asked if Franklin had apologized to him. And he said, well, what do you apologize to me for? Hmm? Um, Then he continued, I lost my best friend, man. That was my dude. There's nothing that I can talk to him about right now because we're in two different places. And it's hard for me to keep him up with what's going on. So like I said, I lost my best friend. You know, you have somebody to call on at any time. I just try. I try to communicate with him. You know, I'm still his son. Can't nobody change that. So I just try and be there for him as far as, you know, this is a tough situation. It's a whole mind game. You can tell in the interview how conflicted he is. Mm -hmm. Because, again, that's his dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then to reconcile the fact of these horrific things that your father was doing your whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you never knew. And some of it went on in their home. Mm-hmm. 
So, and you can just, his, ugh. The documentary is fucking incredible and everybody should watch it. Um, Broomfield would later elaborate on Christopher's experience, which is detailed in his documentary. Again, watch it. Uh, Sharing that there were members of the LAPD that actually asked to shake Christopher's hand because of who his father was. Hmm. Yeah. In what, from what angle is that appropriate? It's not. None angle. None. So Broomfield continued saying, Christopher told me his father had a lot of fans in law enforcement. Some police officers actually admired Lonnie for, quote unquote, cleaning up the streets. That seemed to me too incredible that a serial killer could be a person who was respected within certain sections of law enforcement. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Ew! Fucking gross. Uh-huh. And Christopher is actually... He talks about it briefly when he's being interviewed and saying, he's like, can I get protective custody against you guys? That's disgusting. Yeah. And y'all, this is like what year? This was, oh, I can't remember what year the documentary came out. Let me look really quick. Um, But like when, when. When when was this happening? When when were they congratulating him? Yeah. 2016. Yeah. So with it in less it, than so the documentary came out in 2014. Jesus Christ! There man. was quite a long period before the trial happened. I'm about to get there. Mm. I'm almost there. So yeah, yeah. And Christopher, he knows that his dad was not believing he was in prison for murders because he was convinced or at least attempting to convince everyone else that he did not do it. And Christopher's like, hmm, no. And that's why he was saying it was a mind game, because he knows what his dad believes, Mm -hmm. but he knew what the truth was. And seeing that, that's why he's like, it's a mind game. Yeah. So to, I guess to circle back around to that point and make it a little finer, there are cops who are currently in the LAPD who probably shook that dude's hand. Or asked to. Or asked to. Because he was like, to quote ourselves, eat my whole entire ass. Yeah, there are probably cops right now who are Mm -hmm. employed by the Los Angeles Police Department. Mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah. That's disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, it's real gross. So I lied. There was another infuriating thing. (laughs) Sorry. I forget because it's like... There's so many, yeah, but I yeah, feel like yeah. they were all concentrated to the last two episodes. No. But there's there's still there's still a few infuriating little little, little threads, little, little infuriating threads in here. But I mean, of course, I just forgot that that was one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, following his arrest, neighbors were mostly stunned to find out that Lonnie was suspected in such heinous crimes. To them, it was absolutely crazy. Lonnie was the kind of guy to talk your ear off about sports. Uh, the kind of guy who you invited to graduations. The kind of guy who would bring presents to um, the neighborhood's elderly residents on their birthdays. His yard was full of toys for his grandkids to play with. Uh, you could even see him washing dishes in the kitchen after dinner most nights. Cynthia Banks, who lived in the same neighborhood, shared, The Lonnie that I knew was a nice guy. He worked on my car maybe three or four times. Every time I'd see him, he'd wave. 
I knew he worked uh, at one point at LAPD, so I'm just amazed at something like this. You never know who you can be among. I thank God today that that man never made a pass at me. He was a good-looking brother. I would have given the dude a shot. I could have been one of those women, you know. Mm -hmm. I might not be here today. Another neighbor, Yvette Williams, said, His family didn't want for nothing. No one in the world is an angel, but I could admire someone for taking care of his family and his home. Uh, Barbara Huggins, a newer neighbor at the time, said that Franklin had been nothing but sweet and nice to her since she'd moved in, sharing that they'd spoken to each other mere hours before his arrest. She said, I was supposed to meet up with him this morning. I talked to him last night. I've been with him. He's fixed my car three times. He didn't threaten me or anything. He was nice. He gave me good deals on my car. I've been to his house. I've met his grandkids. This is crazy. However, some of his friends believed that Franklin may have dropped hints over the years. Longtime friends of his, Lydia Cam and her husband Mark Tribble, weren't as shocked as most people when Franklin was arrested. Mark shared that Franklin, uh, he would have violent fantasies. He was putting the girls down, saying someone is going to kill these girls, saying that they were going to end up dead. Um, Yvette Williams, again, recalled a time where Franklin was fixing her car and he wanted to show her something. Um, it was a brown box full of women's underwear. Oh, no. That was just Lonnie, she said. Longtime neighbor Francis Williams said he was a nice guy, but he was a freaky old man. He, <laughs> he just talked nasty. He said he'd get women to do strange things in strange places with him. Uh, Fernando Cole, a longtime friend, recalled being shown photos that Franken Franklin had taken of women who appeared to be, in his words, drunk or dead. Other friends claimed to have never seen that side of Franklin, which included Fernando Cole, who had been friends with Franklin for 40-some-odd years. Uh, Cole shared, He was a happy-go-lucky guy. I'm sad about it. Cole initially assumed Franklin was being arrested for theft, saying, Yeah, I was suspicious, but I didn't think he was killing or nothing like that. My heart goes out to the bereaved families. If he did it, he deserves what's coming to him. They were innocent lives he killed. Rosie Hunter, who lived in the neighborhood as a child, remembered Franklin as someone who was always willing to help out his neighbors. Uh, and said, you never know who your neighbors are. He was a nice guy. People knew him on personal level. It's kind of hard to accept. Big time denial. Another neighbor, Tamia Bowden, shared, I got two flat screen TVs. Stolen? Oh, hell yeah! But that don't make him no killer. Uh, former co-worker Noah Thurmond said that Franklin could be a little pushy and that he was always advising me. I didn't want his advice, but as a person, he was just normal. Turns out, no, he wasn't. He really wasn't. So, because they did a search of his home. And they found stuff. It sure did. During a three-day search of Franklin's home, investigators discovered some absolutely bone-chilling evidence. Uh, LAPD forensic scientist Guy Holloway would later testify that everyone on site that day, uh, this is a quote, had a funny feeling that there might be items concealed out of view. And boy, were they right. Around 10 guns were discovered inside the home, but most notably in one of the bedrooms. The team found some loose bullets, a loaded magazine, and a plastic Best Buy bag concealing a manufacturer's gun box with a 25 caliber Titan pistol inside of it. Mm -hmm. It was the, the gun. gun. During the eventual trial, 
Deputy District Attorney Beth Silverman told the jury during her opening statement that the gun used to kill Janisha Peters had also killed Sharon Dismuke, Franklin's assumed first victim, saying this was the first murder in a series of murders committed by the defendant, like bookends on this series of murders. Uh, The gun was, unfortunately, the least terrifying thing detectives found during their search. You see, Franklin liked to keep trophies. A collection of women's jewelry was found in the home. Some women's lingerie and underwear were kept, like the box he showed his neighbor, which is absolutely bananas. Um, but most horrific of all, boxes and boxes of photos and video footage taken by Franklin. All told, over a thousand photos were discovered. Uh, 180 of them were released by the police in the hopes that someone could identify the women in them. Um, The photos show black women ranging in ages from early teens to their 40s in various states. Some are smiling and posing for the camera. Some are partially nude, while others are fully naked. Some are in sexually explicit positions. Some of the photos show sleeping women, and others may have been taken after they were dead. Uh, Detective Kilcoyne would later say, They all interacted with Lonnie Franklin at some point in their life. Every one of these photos is going to be another story in the life and times of Lonnie Franklin. We searched every nook and cranny of his residence and the big commercial building he had in the backyard. We gathered cameras, videos, and evidence from all of the property. There are decades of photography from this guy because he was obviously the cameraman. And that was when they found the IDs of the two women um, that have never been found. Mm. Um, Yeah. A school ID and a driver's license. Mm -hmm. Some of these women were identified by Pamela Brooks during the filming of Nick Broomfield's documentary, and a few of them agreed to be interviewed. Uh, They discuss how Franklin had been a client of theirs and how scary he could be. One Roman recounts how he locked her inside of his soundproofed garage. Okay. Before attacking her, saying through tears, I didn't insult him, I didn't belittle him, I didn't mock his body, and then you want to kill me? And I didn't do that? I didn't try to rob you, I didn't set you up, I didn't do any of that. Yeah, okay, I was out there. That doesn't mean I'm nothing. That doesn't mean I'm nothing. Like, I'm a piece of trash. I was trapped. Mm. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I had to stop watching the... What's it called? Tales of the Grim Sleeper. Okay. What's I had to it? stop watching it for a minute. What's it on? Uh, I know for a fact it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Because um, that is where I watched it. Many, many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, many times. Um, but yeah. So these women also escaped Lonnie Franklin Jr. So how many more of them are out there? Margaret Prescott agrees with me that Franklin is absolutely responsible for more murders, uh, saying in Broomfield's documentary, I'm telling you, back in the 1980s, we had a count of 90 women. Body count of 90 Damn. women. Only 18 of them were on the books. What happened to the rest of them? Are some of them in these photos? Or if they're not in these photos, where are they? I think many more women were killed at the time, or more women were killed than the police are wanting, willing to admit today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detective Kilcoyne also thinks it's highly likely that Franklin never stopped killing, saying, 
I don't believe for a minute he was quiet. He lived in the same house all those years, and I don't think Lonnie Franklin ever changed his stripes. I think he was the same man he's always been. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's no way to prove it as of now, and without bodies, there's nothing to be done except speculate. Uh, another skin-crawling thought? How many bodies did he hide in landfills? Mm. Probably a lot. Again, we'll likely never know. But yeah, he spent a lot of time working at landfills, working at the dump. Oh, yeah, no. That's exactly where they are. Yeah. Were. Mm-hmm. So, Franklin's trial was hit with multiple delays and wouldn't begin until 2016. Yes, six years <laughs> after his arrest. Six more years for these people to wait for something to be done for their families. (sighs) His attorneys tried to claim that the methods used to obtain Franklin's DNA were illegal, but the judge ruled that the evidence was, in fact, permissible in court. Good. Because they were like, um, they took trash his, his plate. And the judge was like... Yeah, sir. To Franklin, she's like, "What did you? What was your expectation of what was going to happen once you had discarded that?" He's like, "I thought it was going to be trash." She's like, "Elaborate on trash. What do you mean?" He's like, "Taken away, put in the can, and taken away to the dump or something." And she's like, "Okay, so you weren't using it. It was it was garbage to you. So yeah, they were well within their rights to." Use that. Yep. Sorry, not sorry. You motherfucker. She said that on the stand. <laughs> Just kidding. That would have been the coolest thing in the entire right. <laughs> But the judge was like, mm, D, this is absolutely yeah, 100%. No, it's, it's permissible. So, sorry. Especially, dude. I feel like, even if, and it was questionable at the time, the way that it was retrieved. Yeah. Sure. But I feel like even if it were more questionable in method, the judge still would have been like, this guy fucking murdered countless women. There's absolute, I will do and say anything Mm -hmm. to keep him from getting back on the streets. Which, yes. All the yes. Uh, Between February and May of 2016, jurors were presented evidence, including gruesome crime scene photos and testimony. During her testimony, Anitra Washington took the stand and addressed Franklin directly, saying, You are truly a piece of evil. You're a Satan representative. You're right up there with Manson. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He's worse than Manson. (laughs) Agreed. I mean... Different, You're different, different but, yeah. kinds of bad. I get it. Henrietta Wright's nephew also addressed Franklin, telling him, "You're a cold-hearted dude." Mm-hmm. A statement that Franklin seemed to agree with, as he nodded a little bit upon hearing it. Oh, okay, cool. After the closing arguments were made, the jury deliberated for a day and a half and returned with a verdict: guilty on all counts. Yeah. The following month, he was sentenced to death on each count of murder, though that would later be commuted to life in prison. Mm -hmm. As Franklin was let out of the courtroom, Uh 
Oh, it just took so long. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, as Franklin was let out of the courtroom, family members began to clap. Mm. As they should. It was about time. Um, Franklin would go on to serve time at California's San Quentin Prison. His wife of 30-some-odd years, Sylvia, made regular visits to the prison. That is, until his conviction. After that, she seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Mm. But really, can you blame her? Um, their marriage was a kind of on-again, off-again situation. But friends reported that Sylvia was a devoutly Christian wife mm. who stood by her vows. Um... Hmm. Yeah, but after he was officially convicted, she just, Homer Simpson backing into a bush gif. Yeah. She's like, bye. Which again, fair. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, And Franklin, San Quentin, investigators were not finished with him mm. while he was inside. Even though Franklin maintained his innocence until the end, detectives wanted to know the identities of the women in the photos and where they could find the bodies of presumed victims Ayala Marshall and Relenia Morris, the ones mm-hmm. whose IDs, IDs were found. Um, a hopeful detective Kilcoin said, Time is on our side now because Franklin is sitting in jail and he's not going to hurt anybody. So we've got all the time in the world to put the names to these faces now. Mm. Unfortunately, Franklin took any information on his crimes to his grave. 67-year-old Lonnie Franklin Jr. was found unresponsive in his cell on March 28, 2020, and was pronounced dead roughly 20 minutes later. There were no signs of trauma, and according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation website, Franklin's death was listed as, um, the cause of death was listed as natural causes. Mm -hmm. However, the autopsy report hasn't been made public, and as of 2021, there's been no more information released on his cause of death. Uh, when informed of his death, Diana Ware, um, stepmother of one of the victims, said, I won't say I'm pleased he died, but at the end, there was justice for all the bad things he did in his life. We can now be at peace. Mm-hmm. While Franklin's dead, many questions remain. Most importantly... How many other women did he kill? Who were they? And where are they? Uh, His confirmed murders don't place him in the most prolific spot, like Samuel Little, but we'll never really know how many women he actually killed. Um, But the number is thought to be in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. And although the Grim Sleeper is gone... Pamela Brooks made a poignant final statement to close out Nick Broomfield's documentary. And when I tell you, it makes me want to barf a little bit. Here we go. What I'm trying to explain to you is that just because they have Lonnie doesn't mean this is over with. There's another motherfucker out there just as sick as he is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that is finally the end of the story. I saw your of the grim disgusting list of resources get it started. Yeah, your no, full I saw, fucking page? and you put it in a tiered I always, fashion. I always do. That's great. <laughs> I always do because <laughs> my brain 
refuses to let me do it any other yeah. way. <laughs> when I when I tell you, I'm looking at it now, and I can see there are some that should be in different places. So y'all, uh, a visual on this? It looks like it looks like the hill of a roller coaster, like the downward <laughs> hill of a roller coaster. Do you do that on purpose? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every every time, every week, every week, it's always like that. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I got him a brain. She won't. Let me. Yeah, no, cool. Get it. Got it. So, and yeah, like That's, I said. That list of resources is almost as long as your story. It's Get, true. Please do it. So, I've got, right, here we go. <laughs> uh, so many. So, ew.com, Joe McGovern, cnn.com, articles by Holly Silverman and Mallory Simon, laist.com, Juliet Bennett Ryla, abc7.com, ebony.com. Ranker.com, Amanda said like heaven her, cdcr.ca.gov, mirror.co.uk, Gail Shortland, people.com, an article by Christine Pelisek and Greg Hanlon, and another article by Christine Pelisek, grunge.com, Jesse Gormley, uh, Michael Angelo Francisco, latimes.com, Haley Branson Potts, Stephen Caesar, Marissa Gerber, and James Qualey, and Marissa Gerber. Uh, uprocks.com, Vince Mancini, oxygen.com, Gina Tron, LA Sentinel.com, Brian Melly, Wikipedia, LAweekly.com, Jill Stewart, and another article by Christine Pelisek, uh, huffpost.com, Matthew Jacobs, vanityfair.com, <laughs> Zachary Wigan, uh, NBCnews.com, Pamela K. Johnson, and another article by Thomas Watkins, Nikki Swift.com, Lindsay Barton, law.upen.edu, Regina Austin, peoplepill.com, crimeviral.com, mynewsla.com, huaquash, bitchmedia.org, Yvette Dion, historydaily.org, Jacob Shelton, rollingstone.com, Suzanne Zupolo, murderpedia.org, archive.kpcc.org, Frank Stoltze, seattletimes.com, uh, Hector Basera and Scott Gold, abcnews.go.com, Lauren Efren and Lauren Shear and Neil Karlinski, and then another article by Emily Shapiro, uh, mamamia.com.au, Helen Vnuk, uh, thedailybeast.com, Christine Pelisek, buzzfeednews.com, Claudia Corner, nbclosangeles.com, Jane Yamamoto, chicagotribune.com, Haley Branson Potts, and an article by Stephen Caesar, cinemaholic.com, Creedy Marotra, ChristinePelisek.com, uh, WashingtonPost.com, Sarah Kaplan, and another article by Lindsay Bever, CourthouseNews.com, Matt Reynolds, AllThat'sInteresting.com, LATimesBlogs.LATimes.com, Howard Bloom, CriminalMinds.Fandom.com, OldRockAndChair.WordPress.com, Arjun Sajeep, uh, Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Murders.net, Tales of the Grim Sleeper by Nick Broomfield, My Favorite Murder, Episode 230, The Tide Pools of Your Life, as told by Karen Kilgariff, and the True Murder podcast, The Most Shocking Killers, by Dan Zapansky with Christine Pelisek. What's on the back? I was just back hose from the last three weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is this is the final. Yeah. This one was the first two weeks. Yeah, it's a hefty story. Yeah. Now, let's see. It is 18 pages. One of those pages is... Sources. Sources and backhoes. Right. Let's see. If I make it Danielle-sized font, let's see how many pages (laughs) it would have been. I do 14. I know you do. 
I just want to see. I just want to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to see. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a second because I got to scroll. You can hit select all, right? On my phone, uh-huh. it didn't want to do it. It said no. Here we go. Here so we go. Don't trust Apple. It just said no. All right. Shut up. This is super entertaining for our listeners. While you do that, I'll do this. Yeah, yeah. hey. Uh, if you are a parent and you have kids uh, between the ages of like 5 and 12, you can listen to a podcast that I run called Anytime Now. Yeah, where we do, do. Uh, focus on unsung heroes, places, and events in history present them in kind of a fun, interactive, engaging way for kids. Mm-hmm. And then also, for listeners of Ghost and Hose, if you go to honesthistorymag.org, again, honesthistorymag.org, and use the promo code GNH, you get 10% off your first order of anything Yay. on the site. Woo! So please, please stop by the website, get your kids some really, really dope history magazines with really cool illustrations, uh, writers who are educators and people who are experts in the field that they are writing about. The most recent one is Native American history, written by and illustrated by people from Native American tribes. So uh, they do a very, very good job of making sure that everything is uh, as flushed out and researched and as accurate as humanly possible. Legit. It's a very, Yay. very legit publication that I work for. Yes. yes, it is a very good podcast as well. Yeah. I can't figure it out okay. right now. My brain is not working yeah. anymore. That's okay. After reading 867 sources. And yeah, that was enough to exhaust me alone right there. Yeah. So, shit. Yeah. But... And goddamn, this is a long one, you guys. Yeah, well, I mean, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Yeah. Book it the fuck out of yep, here. Yep, yep. I just ordered me some Indian food. I so. just ordered me some capriotis. <laughs> well, we done done it, y'all. You know we the drill: rate, it. review, subscribe, mm-hmm. share, 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 share. If you would like some exclusive, exclusive motherfucking content, <laughs> go become a patron on our Patreon. Yes, please. And the new if... Patreon episode came out today. Yeah, it did it? Did with, with accidentally with some very late night slash early morning help from yeah, you and I because <laughs> I was busy. Working. Oh, did you not do it? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have time. So it just went out as blech. Blech. Uh. <laughs> So Patreon took away the ability to save things as a draft? Apparently, there is a tab where you can do it, but you have to go to that specific place. And That's stupid. It is very dumb. They took it away from the main post, yeah, so right. it just says schedule or publish. And I will usually put save as draft and put something inane in there because mm-hmm. I'm feeling goofy. Like he does with every episode right. that I get to see. And exactly. And there's been once time. or twice where you've just left it. Yeah, well, the last... I know once, for Patreon, sure. Patreon, the last no, one... No, like, between show and Patreon, Oh well, I just there's been one. specifically remember the Patreon last time, because that title was all you, and it was it was great. I don't remember what it was. Um, was it Chewing the Shit and Eating the Fat? Oh, that's I right, think. yeah, Chewing the <laughs> Shit I was like, yeah, fucking, that's great. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah. it. Um, but... So I just put in there, blech, as the title, and ugh, okay. as the description, mm-hmm. and then scheduled it, for 1 p.m. Yeah. Oh, okay. So she'd have until 1 p.m. To, to make, change it. To change it. But yeah. that's, no. That didn't happen. It didn't so it just went ever. out as blah and ugh. Yeah, no actual description. <laughs> it was, so if anybody listened to it based before I went in and edited it, please let me know. 
and how you enjoyed the surprise of what the episode was, because there was literally no information. No information at all. For, I want to I say, like, a good 90 minutes. There was, it was just that. Nothing. It was just... And then I was doing it, like, trying to get it together, and I went to, like... I was like, okay, edit. And I'm like, oh, shit, balls. It is already live. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I was editing it, and all of a sudden it just disappeared. I'm like, what is happening right now on this day? And so I had to like completely close out of Patreon, reopen it, and I got it in there. And I Maybe. hit, I didn't even get to hit, or no, I did hit save, and then it just like circled. Oh yeah, it and does like, that. What are you doing? And it so I just spins. I pulled it up on my phone and it had saved already. So I was like, oh thank fuck. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> posted in the main um ghost and hose page. It's like new Patreon episode is live. <laughs> still still I didn't finish that. Patreon has been just a dick the last Couple they're, months. They're, they're making all these weird changes. User interface is fucking terrible. It's, yeah, it's so bad. Like the time I accident, I accidentally. We should just start an OnlyFans and operate through there. <laughs> People think to show our boobs. boobs. They take they take a way bigger cut than Patreon does. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But I was like, I think it was last month. I think or yeah, it was last month that I was like trying to schedule it and it just published. I'm like, well, you're welcome, everybody. Here's yeah. the Patreon episode. <laughs> and then the regular episode, I meant to schedule it for Wednesday, uh-huh. but I scheduled it for your birthday, which was Monday. I was like, you My get... birthday? Yeah. March 7th. Oh, way back when. March, okay, yeah. yeah. When I was in Florida. Right. Because we had the Patreon episode that was the regular episode right. that week. So I was like, well, fucking shit balls. Here, everything's early. This situation. Enjoy, right fucking You're spring welcome. break. You're welcome. <laughs> spring You're break. welcome. Woo! Spring break ninety nine. You're welcome, everybody. Amen. Everybody, pull your boobs out. Yeah, always. So. <laughs> oh, my food's almost here. All right. Well, till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Bye. Bye. Hats off to the fuck you club. And I think we're finally here. Oh, we're here. I've been here. Yeah. Fuck you, you fucking piece of shit, Lonnie Franklin Jr. Mm-hmm. You motherfucking piece of shit. Glad you're dead. Burn you didn't serve hell. enough time. Burn in hell. I hope it hurt. Me too. I hope it hurt. And we out. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs>